0: Hi, everybody. Welcome to a brand new Film Music Media Conversation. I'm sitting here with the amazing composer, Alex Hefes. Alex, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to to chat today. It's so great to to sit down and do this with
1: you. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, we've been meaning to do it for a long time, so I'm glad that we have got to do it.
0: Absolutely. So um, before we jump into it, I did want to, you know, you know, we just had the passing of the amazing Ryuichi Sakamoto. And uh, maybe before we jump into it, I know you worked with him on your Face to Face album, which you just re-released this past year, kind of a new mix for it. So maybe, you know, every time we lose a com- you know, a composer from the community, it's such a, you know, terrible loss. I'm just maybe what was your experience working with him before we jump into kind of your stuff? I'd love to, you know, hear
1: that. Experience. Yeah. 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 Thanks for asking. Because it's yeah, it was a really sad weekend. You know, I mean, I knew he was ill, but, you know, even yeah. when you know someone's ill, it's like sort of. It's it's you know it's just always a shock when when someone goes and I guess um, I guess I have just really happy memories of working with uh, Ruchi and um, he was a very he was a very genuine and very straightforward guy I found yeah. um, I asked him if he'd be interested in this face to face project it was it was quite a few years ago and as you said we've just re released it in um, we did like spatial mixes as well which was really fun and I remember saying to Ricci I really want to try improvising something together and just like capture something of the moment the idea of the project was to find someone inspiring and you know he was always a great inspiration to me and go to an inspiring place and like put those two things and see if you could just capture a moment where an idea sparked and you had some inspiration and so I wanted to do it in New York city and I turned up in Manhattan I flew from I was in London at the time and I flew to Manhattan and we got to the studio and we set up two pianos like a dueling pianos thing and we were gonna we were gonna like sort of you know feed off each other's ideas and so I got there Richie said great so you know what have you got prepared you know what ideas have you brought and I said no, Richie remember I told you this was gonna be like you know in the moment and he just he just burst out laughing he said you're, you're crazy man. <laughs> <laughs> but he totally went with it he was like yeah okay yeah that's 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 cool and that was the sort of you know i found him to be that very generous sort of like okay that's good that's great sort of spirit yeah. and so we um we recorded a lot of material and i and then i went away and shaped it into two songs we did one song song called manhattan rain which um we recorded during a huge one of those you know new york downpours that was so loud you could actually hear it on the studio roof Um, so we incorporated we actually recorded some of the rain and recorded that into one of the tracks and the other one um still doing this dueling piano thing was um i really love um it's called free flow and it's it's a sort of minimalist type thing and um i added um we added some uh you know guitars and bass and some other elements um and you know he seemed to really like what i did with it but it's just all happy memories so yeah i think i think that's the that's the best that's the best way to look at it is uh you know when someone goes uh, especially in the music community it's sort of unique that you leave something behind you you know a great artist leaves something behind and I, yeah. they, I was actually thinking about that today not not so much you know, for myself, but it, it's just sort of an interesting part of being someone creative that even though you're gone, you can still sort of impact people, and that's that's what Rui's passing has sort of left me just thinking about this weekend. So,
0: yeah, I rewatched the trailer for his uh, documentary Koda, and it's mm-hmm. kind of haunting because in that documentary he says, "I don't know how much time I have left, and I want to leave something meaningful behind." And I'm like, "Oh, that's just like hit me with his wave of yeah. emotions," and it's like. You know you think about you know mortality and legacy and and uh, but just also just your time here, the time that we have so um, yeah, that's uh...
1: true, and you know, as you get older, i mean <laughs> i I never really used to think about it, but now that I have a body of work behind me, um yeah, y- you know you sort of I, I feel you know I've got lots of work to do I'm not like I'm done you know I've got right. lots no, time, not at but all. but it's like you know there's something that um you know my family would be able to know me by when I'm gone or, or friends or something it's sort of nice to think that uh, you know it may last it may not last I don't know but um it's sort of an interesting thing I've grown into as a composer Is like sort of that, that thought sort of yeah Interesting, just to ponder <laughs> what that means.
0: Absolutely. Well, to 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 kind of segue into uh, talking about uh, you, um, I think that's a perfect point to talk about what things mean. And I, I always like to start off with this question of what does music mean to you? And you can take that question however you see it as a as a as a storyteller, as a as a person, as a human being, as a musician. What does music mean to you? And whatever sense you make that question to be.
1: Well, that's that's quite a question. That's that's a deep one. <laughs> um, I mean, I can't really tell you. I can, I can remember as a child um, being quite mystified that the grown-ups around me sort of almost treated music in an almost religious sense of like it was something so important to them and so sort of sacred almost. That yeah. When I was a child, I didn't quite, you know, I was just like, yeah, I, I like music, and 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 it's and it's. But <laughs> I, I remember thinking. I don't think about music like that and I think I've come full circle <laughs> now, and now I've got you know I've got my own you know I've got my own child and, and family um I find myself more and more thinking just wow how important this is to me and how 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 could I live without doing this and and so it's sort of satisfying to have come full circle and I think you can only do that by living your life and and Doing stuff and coming to the realization so i I don't really know if that answers your question but oh um, no it does absolutely no (laughs) it's it's definitely something i I couldn't do without i think it's so much part of my my uh my my brain and my lifeblood my thought processes that um i can't imagine it not being there but i i I remember i remember a time when it wasn't you know when i was younger although when you're younger the whole world is new and you're soaking up everything and you know uh, yeah
0: so yeah well let's let's rewind back there i'm curious do you remember was it like a like a a point where it did enter your life did it come into your life gradually when did music start becoming an interest whether it was early in childhood later in childhood adolescence i'm curious where in your life did it start kind of seeping in
1: well actually I remember very, very specifically, I went to a, a bookstore or a general store and I I won a raffle ticket. I can't remember what I bought something and I got um I got a call afterwards saying, Oh, you've won you've won a prize. And I was like, Oh, I didn't know there was a prize. I must have filled out some form, you know. This was sometime yeah. in the early eighties. And they said, Oh, you've you've won a you've won a prize. You can you can come in and buy any cassette of any music. That you'd like i don't remember how i won this thing but i remember going to the store and et had not yet come out it was coming out that summer uh, oh, but of okay. course everyone everyone knew about you know this thing that was coming we all knew it was going to be phenomenal but we just didn't know what the heck it, it was <laughs> right. um and they just had the the john williams um soundtrack cassette had just arrived in the in the store just before the the movie and so I looked at that and I said, well, I, I'm definitely going to have that. And I, I took it home and I was I was still pretty young. And, and I thought actually it was going to be like the story book on the cassette read to me. And so I put the cassette on thinking, oh, God, I'm going to find out what the story of E.T. is. And no, it wasn't the story. It was just the music. And first of all, I was like, oh, this, that's just the music. That's a bit odd. And but I carried on listening. And then as I, I, I remember just thinking wow this film sounds amazing um but all I know about it is the music and I listened to the whole thing over and over and over again so by the time the movie E.T. came out I I knew the music backwards because I it was the only cassette I owned at that time. I was still pretty young and I just remember especially that cue with Elliot and E.T. with the harps the two harp cue where they're sort of in his bedroom and Elliot's showing him all the toys and Mm, yeah yeah and that's such, a, it's such a, you know, it's not one of the big thematic cues in the film, but um, even when I was 12 or whatever that age was, I just remember imagining what the film must be like with the music before I'd seen it. And I, I think that made quite an impression on me. <laughs> and it obviously did, because I'm still talking about it today. Anyway.
0: Yeah, I had a very similar one because I, I was born in 87. So for me, Jurassic Park was like, you know right. that came out and i remember my dad had a friend who worked in uh, dc who had a record store and they would give all the samples you know all the hole punch samples back to him to take home and i would always dig through and find the, the soundtracks and i remember having the i still i think i still have the cassette i still have the jurassic park cassette and i used to listen to that and my walkman you know sitting in the back seat looking out the window kind of picturing things but not even seeing the movie yet and i do remember Right. I did have the story. It was like a children's storybook for Jurassic Park. And I, when I saw the movie, eventually my parents decided like, oh, maybe it's too intense for him. I was only six when it came right. out. So, but I took it in. I was like flipping the pages to make sure the pictures matched up with what the movie was. Yeah. And then, well, there and you it, go. You, yeah. you
1: know what I'm talking about. It's it's, it's the same thing. So yeah. that was that was fortuitous.
0: Absolutely. So when did you see it? becoming uh, as a career choice was there a point in your life where you're like okay i'm going to pursue this and what made you go with composition of uh, mm-hmm. composing this for visual media over all the other different musical careers you could have possibly have? right
1: <laughs> well actually i have a very specific memory again of being about 16 and my parents took me to like the career advice place where they they you know they, they tell you which you know routes you might go right. and i remember the lady she sat in a big desk and she said so what do you want to be and i remember saying i want to be a composer <laughs> and i remember she literally took down a book and thumbed through it and went down to c c c c no it's not in the book you can't do that what else do you want to do <laughs> and oh, it's a true story and i just remember thinking well that's stupid <laughs> um, but um okay and i i don't remember what else i said but um so i it you know these days you can go to college and you can become a movie composer uh yeah. back, back then i'm not that old but that was it just wasn't a thing it wasn't it was like a it was like a dream a lifetime away you know you, you know the idea of and i wasn't in the u.s as well i wasn't living in hollywood you know i was right. living thousands of miles away so i didn't have any clear idea that it was conceivably a, a you know something that you could do in real life except I knew there were people that did it but I had no clue <laughs> how they would got there or, or it's not that I gave up on the idea but I, I went off and got an, a musical education and I I never learned being a composer mm. um, I, I went to university and I did quite an old-fashioned music degree did lots of stuff with medieval manuscripts and doing harmony and learning to write fugues and and all the good stuff but Um, I was told at university, no, 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 you don't, don't do composition because you'll get marked down because no one gets good marks being a composer. So I I sort of had a split personality because I, I was crazy about films. I used to watch films all the time. I was just, just terrible, (laughs) terrible with it. Um, And so I had this split personality where I loved film music and I, I sort of loved secretly you know I, all the stuff that wasn't allowed to be on the syllabus you know I, was, I became very into jazz but I couldn't say I liked jazz when I was at university because that was sort of like that's not real music I couldn't say I like film music <laughs> that's not real music so um, when I you know after after I graduated and all that stuff it, I started thinking well how does how do you actually become a composer (laughs) Um, and I had real no practice you know I was messing around and doing stuff you know on my own and recording stuff and I got Cubase version one you know on the the, god it was even on the Atari ST I think at the time um, and taught myself you know it was the very very first like iteration of sequences and this was like really opened up a whole new world of being able to just play around and wow experiment with with stuff and I because i had done lots of um, sort of formal music education but I never really learned to be a composer at all which I'm sort of in a way I'm grateful for but I see a lot of the kids now who go to college and their, their, their technical skill is really really high you know with with writing I was I was a lot more green but I started picking up random jobs I, I decided I started doing short films I never went to film school but um, I figured it was much cheaper and easier rather than go to film school I used to walk into the film schools and just look on the on the notice board in the in the in the foyer and I'd just take down phone numbers because everyone is always desperate for music. you know for music right yeah, yeah, yeah. So I used to just phone them up and say I'm a composer I'll do your music and yeah about 30 or 40 people called me and asked me to do music for their short films so I, I got suddenly I, I had like a, an amazing crash course in writing um you know short films and I put together a little show reel and I had someone cut it together and I mailed it out to about a hundred different you know places like you know like you do or like right. you did you don't mail <laughs> out anything these days <laughs> And out of those two things, out of those 100 things, I got two calls back. Both were from actually advertising agencies. And I ended up doing arrangements straight off the bat out of college for uh, especially for one guy who was very successful in commercials, but he didn't read or write music. But he was extremely good and he needed someone to do orchestral arrangements because in those days they were still doing like. Live orchestra on on TV commercials, so, wow. so and honestly, I'd learned all about Debussy and Ravel and how to orchestrate, but you know, quite honestly, i have never done it at all because until you've really done anything with real people, it's all sort of academic.
0: Yes, and I remember absolutely.
1: being pushed out in front of the orchestra, you know, in my early twenties, um, because I was the one, you know, who was supposed to be able to do this, and it was. It was an amazing experience, you know, for quite a few years, I was very, very young and I, I sort of had a little bit of a hard time from some of the older, you know, guard in the studio, un- understandably, who were slightly sort of like, hmm, who's the who's this young guy He doesn't know what the hell he was doing? And but I probably didn't, but, um, I, you know, so I really got to cut my teeth on writing for orchestras really early on, arranging and then I was writing for these people a little bit as well. And that's an experience that, um, obviously, nowadays is much harder to come by because we're, you know, using samples and people don't have that that you know that luxury. So I I was I was very very lucky to 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 end up doing that very young, and then I ended up just quite by coincidence um, becoming an assistant to a composer in, in London who I was introduced to through absolutely no no professional sort of link it was just through uh, you know a, a personal connection someone said, oh, was this gotta...
0: uh is this simon boswell is that this was simon, simon boswell okay. yes
1: yeah And this was in <laughs> the early early 90s and simon was very busy he was doing a lot of stuff and i went around to have a career chat with him because i'd been set up you know to go and have a career chat which is
0: which yeah. is
1: you know great and And he he gave me a VHS cassette and he said, well, look, I'm doing this movie. Why don't you go home and write a scene for this movie? It was a horror film, sort of action horror film. And so I said, yeah, sure. I went home and I got out my JB 1080 and I wrote some, you know, action (laughs) sequence. I thought it'd be very cool to do it in 7-8 for some reason. I was listening to lots of Jerry Goldsmith at the time, I think. (laughs) Um, And I took it back the next day and he said, oh, great. Well, you've got the job. And I said oh what what job is that exactly and he said yeah i'm looking for an assistant and i said oh okay and i worked with him full time for four and a half years from that day onwards wow. um, it was one of those like fortuitous moments that i wasn't really looking for but it just happened honestly like that and i was writing a lot you know with simon right from the beginning a little bit in the same way that um I, I said well I've been like doing this orchestration and I've been conducting and, and I was still really really young um, yeah. but so with him I, I got the opportunity to do a lot of writing and we were at air you know all the time recording with big orchestras and so he was very, very generous and uh we had good times and, and fun times and that's how I started getting my own movies eventually because he was mainly doing movies, not really TV, and so I you right. know I met a producer and I met a director and you know and that sort of stuff. So it it's one of those when people ask me how you make your way as a composer, they never quite believe me when i tell this story but it, it's sort of random and true you know and everyone yeah. finds their own way and there's no two there's no two no two i mean I've been, yeah. I've been
0: interviewing composers for over a decade now and when i when i ask that question every answer is different and that's what i love about it because there's no textbook yeah. there's no you know roadmap to do it and i i, I always go back to my friend austin Winter's explanation it's like chiseling into a fence or a wall and you finally break through but once you do that closes up and nobody else can like take that path again <laughs> and i thought that was
1: a great yeah, like, i think that's yeah although i the way i think of it it's like a horizon and you yeah you think you've broken through and you've got to the horizon but there's always a yeah. little bit just to, across the <laughs> across the you know and that's that's you know what i've learned you know growing up that you know you set yourself goals and, and achievements and you know yeah. as you as you acquire them then you know bigger and better ones come up you know but
0: Absolutely. i actually remember
1: doing a talk one years ago and i was telling this same story and someone put their hand up in the audience and said i know there's something you're telling us about how to become a composer i just know there's something that you're not <laughs> i said honestly it's as <laughs> it's as random and as different for every single person as you, you just said you know yeah
0: what are you but, holding back alex what
1: are you yeah what, what secrets questions. are you holding <laughs> What's some secret source you're not telling us? But um but I think I think younger writers listening should take heart in that because it's not like you have to find, you don't have to be in the right place or the have some secret. I I didn't know one single person in the film business or the music business when I when yeah. I started. I literally literally didn't know anyone. And I was started cold calling, you know, and doing those showreels. And and I always think that younger writers should really take heart from that because I, I know that it can work if you if you you know if you're persistent and you love it enough and it's a very simple equation actually really because it's just loving enough and sticking it at it over a long period of time. Yeah, it's yeah. a long period of and time. That's the thing. It takes time. It's the time is the that's like that's like you know that's like the, the, that's the magic the, the secret sauce is just keep on going.
0: Yeah. I always, I mean, lately we've been, my uh, talk with the composer, we cover that idea where it's like, yeah, you, you, you pick this career path, but it's like, you see all your friends who went to business school and everything, and they're buying houses like right out of college and, you know, having babies right. young and like cars and you're just still in your one bedroom apartment trying to make, you know, <laughs> trying to get it done. But honestly I, I wouldn't trade it for the world. And, and I mean, I'm well, not a composer, that's... but I, I followed, you know, the filmmaking path. I went to film school and kind of did the same thing. And, and lived with friends and then yeah i didn't know anybody when i went to came to la didn't know a single human being and somehow right you know it's great i'm working at you know warner brothers and and cartoon yeah. network studios i had worked at disney and it's just like you just work and just and passion and, and good attitude and be good to you know good to people and, and things will happen
1: yeah <laughs> for sure for sure you know and just being someone that people like being in the room with is Yes. you know just showing up as they say is a big part of it And you'd be surprised how many people just don't show up
0: <laughs> i know reputations build very quickly and <laughs> very quickly so if you're if you're if you're an asshole to somebody people will know
1: <laughs> right
0: for exactly. sure um but let's uh you know i want to jump to so you, ta- you were working with simon um and you started and after simon you you know started getting your own projects and stuff i'm curious at that point in your life in your career was it did you have like a voice as a composer yet or were you still developing that? Were you developing a sound or you're like, Oh, I know what kind of composer I want to be. I know you're inspired by, you know, John Williams and you're talking about Jerry Goldsmith, but like, you were Mm -hmm. like, Oh, was it, were you at that point? I'm sure you were just kind of taking what you could get for like work, but were you maybe, were you making any decisions? Like, Oh, I really want to focus on this genre. and I really want to write this type of music. You talked about goals. I'm wondering if you set goals back then for yourself.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think, I think so. Um, And I think people Especially when you're younger, they 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 tended to ask me what, what type of composer I was. And mm. I've always slightly flippantly gave, given the same answer, which is well, it's sort of not for me to say, it's for you to
0: right. okay. hear
1: it and decide and sort of decide. But I know myself what type of music. Yeah, I I you know, I sort of like grew up listening to that that stuff, you know, the, the John Williams and the Jerry Goldsmith. But I, I also was very um, I was very influenced by stuff in the eighties with synths that were coming along, you know, I was, I loved Tangerine yeah. Dream, you know, when, and when that got used in the movie, you know, on, in Risky Business, it was like, it was fantastic. It was like yeah. so different. And those early scores um, actually of, of Hans's that when you know, Rain Man was really, really good. And I sort of liked, oh, yeah. I really liked how he used synths there. So, um, but It it, it is a quite and it's a very interesting question that you've just posed, you know, what sort of composer you are and what your voice is, because um, when you're young and to a certain extent all the way through your career, actually, your body of work is always defined by actually what movies come along that you end up scoring, (laughs) you know, to a certain extent. And, you know, really good composers have a voice and they've got their style and you know I'd like to think I I know what my style is and I apply it to that but you still you still have to apply that within what work comes your way and so as as I started working there were I used to grumble that there were things I was asked to do and I was like well this isn't the sort of music that I want to write you know (laughs) um but actually of course I'm I look back now and I'm grateful for every single movie that I did especially especially the ones that asked me to do something that I was grumbling about at the time because it's it's great practice being able yes. to, you know, do lots of different things. But also you you learn how to apply your own voice and your own style to to different things. And it it is interesting looking back over a little bit, you know, over some of the films I've done that um people have asked me to do to combine different elements. So I met Kevin McDonald quite early on and I did his after I left Simon, I did his first movie, which was a feature doc called One Day in September.
0: Yeah,
1: And that was Kevin's sort of first film and my first sort of big film. And it, and it won the Academy Award for a feature documentary that year, which was sort of a big, you know, it was, it was yeah. exciting and a big deal. Um, and then I went on with Kevin to do, we did Touching the Void, which is an amazing climbing film. And then after that, um, we did uh, Last King of Scotland. I did quite a few projects in between those with him as well. And for Last King of Scotland, I went out to Uganda and he wanted me to go out there and record a lot of material in Africa for the film because he came from a lot of documentary and he thought it was really important to go out there as a composer as well and sort of collect stuff and work with it. And it's a phenomenal film. It was an amazing experience. I produced uh, lots of songs as well as writing the score in Last King of Scotland because a lot of those songs from the 70s just on available on records so we actually found a band who had played video i in uganda in the 70s and we really sort of i reproduced and remade some of their songs and so after that people started asking me to do scores that incorporated either world elements or sort of put together elements with orchestras because the orchestra was sort of my background but yeah i look back now and i can see people ask me um to do a lot of I went on and did Mandela Long Walk to Freedom, which is, you know, also in Africa. And I've done lots of films set in Africa or more recently. I worked with Anushka Shankar. We did um, A Suitable Boy, from Seth's book with Mira Nair, the, the always brilliant Mira. I love her. Um, and it's, you know, it's just sort of interesting that um, people have sought me out to combine I think I've always, I've always found that when you hear in movie music, sometimes music from other parts of the world or different genres, they're quite often jammed in with an orchestra in not mm. the most subtle way. <laughs> not yeah, the most no. subtle way. Yeah, if you know what I mean? I mean, it's, it's, uh, there are great, there are great um, exceptions to that rule, but it's always struck me that um, I'd really like to try and find a way of combining those different elements. So people have asked me to do those hybrid scores a lot um and turns out that um i wasn't an expert at doing it you know when i first went to africa i I didn't you know i was just making it up on the fly as you do yeah. um but i've been asked to do it so many times now that i've um, I, I guess i work with people i like working you know with people i like doing sessions where we'll record something and then i take it away and i'll chop it up and to find some little thing that just really catches my ear and is interesting and then i'll find a way of combining that with the orchestra or whatever we need to do to make it into something that makes sense rather than it just being two things jammed together so right that's that's been definitely one defining part of my voice as, as a composer i would say
0: yeah i mean i know that 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 kind of became you know part of your your voice for sure but i, I what i love about your filmography is just it's so diverse and i think it shows your versatility across so many different genres and you got to i mean you got to work with so many different filmmakers and so many different stories and and different tones and different you know uh, styles of filmmaking so um i'm curious uh, i know this is probably going to be dependent on the specific project but i'm curious for you maybe we're talking about your 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 uh, process in general where does the first note come from for you? Where do you like to go for that first point of inspiration? Do you like to, if you if you're working with somebody that you know and you're on early enough, do you like to read the script? Do you just like to have a conversation with the director? Do you like to wait for that first lock picture? Do you like to, or as you said, you know, get sent to the location or Uganda to to be amongst the the setting of the film? I mean, where do you, if you had your you know your wish list to pick up, where do you love to go to first to kind of generate that first idea?
1: Well it's it's all of those, isn't it? Really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think it, <laughs> it it is very dependent on on the chemistry you have with that director, I think. Mm. Some directors really really want you on early and they'll want to send a script and yeah, working with Kevin McDonald, for example, you know, I would write when we did State to play, um, I was writing music a year before, <laughs> you know, before yeah. I probably even saw any picture. Um, um. and there are other times when you're brought on three weeks before you know your dubbing so right yeah you do have to as you well know you know you have to you have to be very nimble and just adapt to whatever the scenario is but and I think part of it also is getting under the skin of the director and trying to understand what makes her or he tick musically mm. what what they might really not like as well you know a lot of people come to music with a lot of anxiety and a lot of uh, (laughs) sort of quite a lot of baggage you know because it's taste you know music just does come down to personal taste and
0: subjective yeah
1: it's totally subjective and it's it's very very hard to describe and so a lot of a lot of directors I find are very anxious about Mm. music for for whatever reason some people feel like they don't have the vocabulary to talk about it and i would say that's that's the least interesting thing for me because right who cares about vocabulary you know we're trying to tell a story so I want you to talk to me like an actor you know what's the mood of this yeah
0: you're the translator that's your job you know you're just
1: that's right yeah. exactly you don't need to tell me whether it's going to be pizzicato or on a flute or something I mean you're welcome to if you want to but let's just talk about um, storytelling and about the pace and about how you want the audience to feel at the beginning of the movie um, hmm. or at the end and I like talking in very broad terms and then narrowing it down but in terms of actually writing yeah it's you know I I try and suss some of these things out and there are some movies that I write very very quickly I just I just have an idea and I go for it and there are other ones that um, you know you go around in circles a little bit sort of chipping away and chipping away trying something and sometimes it's dependent on how well the film is already working or, or what state of construction you know it's in yeah I, you know and it, it, I've learned also not to be dogmatic about it because really you need to you need to adapt I, I know what my working style is uh, you know, as I said but you, you yeah. have to adapt to how that director works and like when I worked with Stephen Frears on his Lance Armstrong uh, film, the programme, um, st- st- at first I was really confused because um, I'd, I'd write music and send it to Stephen, and he'd say, oh, yeah, I, I like it, did boy." And so, but And then I'd <laughs> go and watch the film, and he'd put that cue in a different scene, <laughs> you know, not the scene I'd, I'd write it for. And I'd say, like, you know, at least 50% of the music in that film all the all the cues got swapped around in in different scenes and it was sort of at first I was sort of I was like well okay fine what what?" but actually it was sort of interesting because um, you know you have someone's take on what that music does and then I would take it away and I would say okay well it does work there and let me how about if I do this and I try this and I try this it was a really interesting way of working Um, yeah I've done movies where I've just written music without seeing a picture to a script and, and an edi- editor or music editor will try taking a couple of bits and, and putting it on the front credits or here and there. And I I think when I was younger, I was a lot more. um What's the word? You know, I was trying to hang on to every detail. And hmm. now I'm I'm it, it's quite interesting to just, you know, you you need to let people into your process to a certain extent which I think only comes with confidence and knowing what your process is and knowing what you know who you are but allowing people to um yeah
0: was it hard to find confidence I always I mean I always dealt with self-doubt and I know other artists maybe have doubt and feeling like okay maybe you know I don't have what it takes but did you always have that confidence or did you have to work to kind of build to become a confident storyteller and collaborator
1: well I was very lucky um as i was saying earlier to to be working with simon boswell who was you know a busy and and well known composer um yeah at the time and and i sat in on all the you know the meetings with the directors and the producers early on and so i got to sort of see someone else you know project their confidence and and mm. and then afterwards see their <laughs> you know see the flip side of it you know when the door <laughs> closed and the director's gone you know panic you know, yeah see, see the panic side of it which yeah. is part of being a composer you know we that's right every, you know every great composer will have exactly the same panics you know pop so, it in the
0: well, room that, panic by yourself
1: <laughs> yeah of, of course that's 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 the process it doesn't matter how experienced or you know famous you might be yeah. i'm absolutely sure it's that's a common yeah. thread <laughs> So, I guess that was um, a good education, so I learned how to try and show confidence and I think it's it's I think people do hire you because they want you to have a point of view about their movie they also right. want you yeah. to do what what they want mm-hmm. but I always think it's important to listen to exactly what someone is asking you and give them what they want, but also give them what you think is right because if you if you if you don't do what you really feel inside is working for you you're not going to do your best work it's it's just not going to be so you know it's important to marry those two things and I always feel like it's important to give the director something extra than they were asking for you know sometimes people come with a very specific idea and they want something And even if it's really specific you know I want to try and find some point of view or something but just is more and sometimes they listen and they go no i don't like it but sometimes they go wow i wasn't expecting that but but yes that that could be yeah. good so that's my take on you know my
0: take and, on. and you mentioned uh so you we talk about working with directors and you mentioned Stephen frears but and um uh, kevin mcdonald but he's also he's also worked with like michael Hofstrom and and uh peter weber and of course Catherine hardwick which he just scored uh, mafia mama with uh mm-hmm. and you've done multiple films with all those directors so i'm curious how does the when you're working with a filmmaker like that across several projects where is it easier the more you work with somebody or is it like like from that first do you remember like the first time you've worked with me we can take Catherine for an example the first time you worked with her how is it different than now with uh, mafia mama is there a shorthand or is it like does she know you too well is it harder to kind of <laughs> <get>? <laughs> i'm curious what the kind of what do you see across several well. projects. <laughs>
1: I, I think it cuts both ways actually, and I'm sure there'd be uh, composers who will tell you that. You know, I think working with a director over a series of movies is is a great thing. I think it's one of the great pleasures of being a composer because you yeah. can you can sort of cut to the chase um, a little quicker um, because there's a sort of getting to know you, you know, phase yeah. to to scoring a film.
0: Like any relationship, but you have to like, like any some, yeah. like any
1: relationship. <laughs> But like any relationship, you know, you don't you don't want to get into a sense of complacency, um, yeah. you know. And, you know, and I think that sometimes um, that can happen between directors and, and composers. Um, I said I had a very interesting experience years ago. I worked with Tim Burton on on Sweeney Todd when he right. um, on his adaptation of Stephen Sondheim's show, which is an amazing film. It's so perfect for Tim. Yeah. And so it was one of those films that Danny wasn't on because it was, you know, it just wasn't, you know, it was was already a show. So, and I came on um, to adapt some of the music and to some of the arrangements and write some additional score of that. And I was just, I was nervous because it was, you know, it was sort of Tim, but also because he had that relationship with with Danny Elfman already for for, forever. And so I was, just to your point of um, when, a composer and a director know each other really well I was concerned that uh, how would I you know how would I sort of um know what he was asking for because maybe he was just so used to it. so I don't really know how he works with Danny at all and I, I never asked yeah. but um Tim would be he would just listen to something that I did he would come around to my place and say yeah it's, I, I like it just make it a little bit more and he'd just like shake his hand like a bit more and that would be it and that's all I would get <laughs> um and that that stuck in my mind is like well well maybe um you know maybe he's just used to having such a shorthand with someone that it, you right. know it's sort of after it doesn't really come out in, in words in a way and you know? I it's it's sort of uh, with directors I've worked with a lot I've noticed that they do develop shorthand ways of sort of they'll sort of say, you know, you know, you know what I mean, you know what I mean, but sometimes you don't actually (laughs) know what they mean. But sometimes they, they, maybe they know what they mean, but they don't quite know how to say it. And that's, that's where music is obviously infuriating and extraordinary because it defies words. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah.
0: (laughs) There's no, yeah, absolutely. So I'm curious when you, when you're presenting to a, a director uh, when you're, you know, sending work in to be, you know, approved or uh, checked out, are you at this point in your career, are, do you still get like nerves about presenting something new or do you get excited to show off and be like, Hey, look, look yeah. what I made. Like, uh, I'm curious. It's, it's
1: it's hideous. It's always hideous playing something for the first time, you, <laughs> you know, to directors that, you know, you know, well, it's, it's, I mean, it's exciting, and, yeah. but it, it's very nerve wracking, but I've learned that, um, well, what have I learned? I've learned that it doesn't really matter if not every single thing you play them, um, you know, it hits the bullseye every time. It's right. it's about what you take from their reaction and what you know, and then work with it. And I mean, most of the time you do play stuff, and it, and it, you know, it goes down pretty well. Um, you have to learn to be thick-skinned. Sometimes people sometimes say things that they don't they don't quite mean. Um, I, I actually quite like people to be very honest I think one of the interesting things that's happened in more recent years as we've been doing more remote presentations obviously through yeah. the pandemic and even before is that um, there was a long period where the director wouldn't be in the room with me here you know we'd be remote and that's I, I used to find that very nerve-wracking because you don't even get any body language you can't sort of feel what the yeah the response is in the room um, but in a, in a way that I think that cuts both ways, because I think it's it's quite difficult to, to determine people's responses and to be able to work together on something. But at the same time, it does give that person the opportunity to really listen to the music in their own environment and sometimes be able to sort of digest it in their own time and come back and yeah. sometimes give you feedback that you feel actually might be more... Um, Almost more useful because they they're not on the spot. They don't feel like they've sort of had to suddenly give you, yeah. you or know, feedback. sugar
0: coated or like and they can be they can they sit with it some more and they can be more a, a, a true reaction. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. So it's you know it, it's it's not ideal, but it, it, it can you know there can be an upside like like to anything. But yeah. but honestly, it's still great yeah. to be able to have directors come in and just to be able to. Quite often, you know, you'll have an experience where you'll play something and the director's really not sure about it. And they say, well, how about if I take the trumpet out or how about if we do this or just And then all of a sudden it it, it clicks for them and they go, oh, that's great. So, you know, having the confidence not to just panic if someone's not jumping up and down for joy and just get to the bottom of what it's not doing for them. And quite often it's something quite simple that can be done and all of a sudden everything falls into place
0: absolutely well i mentioned Catherine hardwick which you worked on yeah. several several projects with i want to jump into mafia mama which is a yeah, yeah. fantastically fun i mean amazing uh movie starring tony collette who's one of my favorite actresses and i get uh, monica Bellucci in there i mean it's just a fantastic fun film so i'm curious uh you know this is a, a almost like a self-aware comedy about you know the the kind of mob movie genre so yeah. You, you have you have the genre that has baggage even they reference godfather like in the movie you know like it's like godfather and she's like i haven't yeah. seen it you know so yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> so i'm curious what were the conversations you had with Catherine at the start of this and what weird what did you talk about about tone and about the style of the, the movie and what kind of what the role of the music was going to be and what did you end up i yeah. guess you know imp- implementing
1: <laughs> yeah and as you said this is a third picture i've done with Catherine now they've all been actually quite different um yeah yeah very much which you know which is great i I love that i love the variety I, as it turns out i think catherine is a natural comedy director <laughs> and in a way yeah. it's not that surprising because she's as a person she's very funny and she's like just a, a very very fun person always to be with so it doesn't surprise me that she's really good at comedy <laughs> um but um but i could tell immediately that i saw it that it was very funny and as you say tony Paulette is just so I don't know oh, so she's good. just so likeable and yeah. just it's just sort of effortless she's such a good actor um Catherine did from the beginning say that she really wanted to you know the godfather is this it's sort of a running gag in the film and so yeah she wanted to make the movie a little bit like homage to that but I've, I've always thought of it a bit more like the godmother really in, in mm, a way. yeah yeah because um, you know it's Tony's movie and Um, there are lots of pictorial references to the godfather but so but Catherine said you know I'd love to have like a you know a very godfather type theme and she she really wanted it on the trumpet she wanted that for you know sort of godfather vibe to it so that was the first thing I did was to write um you know to write that to to the script actually it was just before before they finished filming so I hadn't actually seen anything um
0: how do you even approach something like that because you're coming to i mean you do you immediately try it you know reference nino rota do you immediately try to capture that and people will kind of recognize it or you try to create something that's you but in that world
1: well i i i I deliberately didn't go back and listen to the godfather Mm. um and i've you know i i've always done that like when i scored roots when they they did the reboot of roots i deliberately didn't go back and watch the original because i sort of you know i didn't i certainly didn't want to copy it and i didn't i wanted to sort of take my you know if i was going to do a tip of the hat in 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 mafia mama i wanted to do it from what i felt about the godfather rather rather than going back and watching and studying the movie right right. doing it that way um so i didn't go back and watch them but just you know just how i just how i felt it 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 might work and i think just staying really staying very light is really important in comedy but i do think that audiences and you'll know really well about this actually um audiences can like smell funny music a mile off yes
0: Yeah, you know what yeah. I mean this
1: yeah so in comedy you've got to, and Catherine sort of agreed that um, you know we we don't want to try and actually be funny I think it just playing it straight um would probably work much better than trying to be too sort of comedic so I always kept things light and even in the action sequences didn't want to get too you know too intense or heavy because it, you know it it is a comedy so just balancing how bass there is or how much driving percussion and trying to use lots of high ends using so I, i i like to think about palettes a lot and what what are the colors you're going to use so you know using that trumpet and accordion and we put together a really fun little band of trumpet and accordion and like dulcimers and mandolins, you know, all the Italian t- tropes, if I'm honest, but right, but yeah. really, really fun because they've all got brilliant colour and they've all got really good character. And then, uh, you know, those get put together with the orchestra, but trying to find what the balance is so that it's not all big and orchestral, but it can actually stay quite light on its feet. Um, and that's really how I started thinking about it.
0: So when you, you talked about not, you know, you don't want to be too co- comedic with the, the music. How do you, I guess as a composer navigate those com- like specific comedic moments, whether it's a, a line of dialogue or if it is a, you know, an action, you know, more of a situational action comedy or something like that, or something somebody falls or it's a, a gag, you know, light turning on or off, you know, how do you stay away from it? And, or how do you, I guess navigate it and make sure that the score isn't Mickey mousing or being too, you know, stuff like that. I'm curious, yeah. do you just completely stay away from it and let the editing work, or do you try to do something?
1: Um, I think well a lot of it is intuition and I think a lot mm. of it is um, is reading the performances and seeing and that goes for any genre in a way but comedy is very specific because you know you're aiming for a laugh you're aiming for something really you know, sort of yeah very very specific um, so trying to read the performances and see where you where you feel the funny parts really are where where it's really working and then figuring out okay that line is actually delivered really it just works really well so I should steer clear of that and Mm. you know let Tony just deliver that without music and clear it or you know another one where maybe the comedy's implied but the line isn't so clear and you need to sort of just point it up in a, in a gentle way with the music um right, right certainly in action sequences just that's a little bit more like ballet i think um, especially action comedy um it needs to be very very nimble and needs to be able to like turn on a dime and not really get too heavy or you know sort of thunderous because it needs to go from being like exciting and pounding in what you know and two bars later all of a sudden it's just just gone to some other totally different thing because that's the nature of that of that genre so it's it's a lot of it is to do with rhythm and pace um you know and the the film's got a great editor as well and you know a lot of that comes from editing i always remember listening to jerry goldsmith talking about how he starts writing music is to just look at the is that look at the pace of of cuts, how many cuts there are in a scene and that, you know, you can usually feel a BPM or a sort of a tempo that just fits with how fast something is sort of cut. And that, I think that's very true as well. You know, you finding the right speed. These are all things that, as you know, for composers, you know, it does come with practice and it's quite intuitive, but when you actually think about it, what you're doing is pretty much looking at the pace of the cuts and and feeling out what bpm fits with that first of all you know in a sort of a very you know if you're really getting down to brass tacks it's you know nitty-gritty that's yeah that's where you're starting certainly with action and comedy how well, fast or slow how loud or quiet does this need to be
0: <laughs> right so if and i don't know did they use a did you have a temp that Catherine used a temp with the edit on this or did it was it like a uh, temp free
1: There was some time, but actually not a great deal because she was really keen, as I said, for me to write a theme early on. And then by the time I watched the first cut, I I wrote a theme for each of the two warring families, the Balbanos Mm. and the Romanos. And I wrote a couple of different variations. I did a trumpet version and I did a guitar version, a couple of... And walter the editor, is really good. He, when I watched the the first cut, he'd already placed them you know where he felt they worked, and I was like, "Wow, yeah, that's that that you know." So that was almost like a music editorial sort of um part of the process that was already done a little bit by the time I came on. So I was able, you know, I'd rewrite those things, but with the knowledge that they basically, but yeah, um,
0: it's, it it prevents them from having to because you, you mentioned finding the pacing, and I I know as a visual person myself, I love music to inspire ideas but also when you're editing it it, it dictates the pace of a scene sometimes if you need it so but if you use a temp it's almost locked to whatever that music is but the fact that you were on early enough that you could provide you know your music they were locking pictures to your music so it was much I think uh, more you know organic and natural for you to just come in and make that you know and then yeah perform it and make it work yeah
1: yeah, and maybe knowing Catherine, you know, fairly well from from doing you know other movies with her, you know, then there's it's a little bit more like you get a little bit more leeway. And as I said, it yeah. always comes down to that personal chemistry. Um, um, so it, it, yeah, it was fairly easy actually from 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 that point of view. Um, and then that the fun came with the actual recording because with that little band, you know, you you have the chance to really sit down and we. We sort of blocked out a week where we would have each person come in individually and we would do just yeah. the accordion one day and just the recussion or another day and build it up. But mm-hmm. but with this type of music where you're really going for character, then it's a chance to work with the players and obviously everything was already, you know, the charts were there and everything was there. But then you could sort of say, Well, how can you do this that sounds, you know, a little funnier? Or how can you do this that's a bit more straight? Or is there something you can do on that instrument that just has got something wacky to it you know and so that's right. that's that was a really fun process
0: so when you're you mentioned that it was like a, a little b- a band and you were picking you know like kind of picking out those iconic italian instruments so as a composer i'm curious uh, about the players of those instruments i mean are you looking for players to you know bring their themselves into their performance and if you're working with an you know accordion player are you asking them like hey try something more playful try something here and they and maybe is there any improvisation at all or is it kind of uh following what you kind of what you wrote
1: i mean it's pretty much following what i wrote but um yeah it's always best to just leave a few percent of chance in in anything because of you know a really great player is going to do something you know yeah they've spent their lifetime you know perfecting how they do how they do something so it's great always when someone brings something unexpected you know to the table but i i was you know, you need to you need you need to have enough of a plan that everything is already basically right. sort, of, sort right. of worked out. But, um, but yeah, for sure, especially with so, so, some instruments, percussion. You know, is 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 one that you can do. You, you could you know, it's like a you could just go down a a rabbit hole of experimenting right, sure. and then yeah. we come out. Um, but that's a fun you know. But that's but that's a fun thing. Um, um, yeah. All, all of them I think that's one of the amazing things about being a film composer as well is you really get to work with you know sort of the best players there are in in their fields it's you know whether it be orchestras or just you know doing a solo trumpet or accordion you know you can I like to handpick the people I work with Um, you know I work with a couple of contractors I've worked with forever and we look really carefully if I need to find new people you know I always listen to them a little bit beforehand to make sure that it you know it's it's always going to sound good but whether i think there's something that that person might be able to give me that i'm looking for
0: I and mean, you're like you're like a director you know casting a, a role i mean you're right casting casting your orchestra and, and uh the players so yeah yeah i think that must be such a fun process as a composer to. Kind of f- find the nuances and people's abilities and and be like oh this would be perfect and that would be perfect that must be just a joy to bring all those people together
1: yeah <laughs> and you know it may come back again to my history of going out recording stuff you know in the field yeah. and working with it and working with people on the fly um I, I, probably there is something to that as well.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, well, the, the film is is fantastic. The score is uh, it's, it's just wonderful and it's such a, a treat. And it's, I mean, it's just a great time. It's just a, one of those films that's just a just a fantastic time. <laughs> so well, that's probably... great. You
1: know, you know, it's really nice to do something that's just straight up entertaining, you know, yeah, if yeah. it makes people laugh, that's just, you know, that's, that's job done. It's great.
0: Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Well, um, as we uh, kind of wind down, I, I want to talk about, um, you know, we were talking about, before we started recording, kind of how the industry has been changing. So I'm curious, you know, we're, we're the, the ground is shifting underneath us all the time with uh, everybody. So I'm curious in your point of view, um, being in this industry, as long as you have, what are some good things that are happening right now? Maybe what are some, maybe not so good things that are a bit worrying that you're seeing?
1: Right. Well, I remember when I got first pushed out in front of those orchestras, like we were talking about earlier in the early 90s, that players were telling me then that it was the end of the world and that mm. music was going down the tubes and film was going down the tubes. And when I look back now, you know, they had budgets that seemed like yeah, <laughs> like the golden years right. to that. so I've sort of learned that you know much as the things do seem you know tough sometimes and they are tough but um you know it's all it's all relative and you know as long as we're still working um it's it's you know it's good yeah, um, I don't true. want to seem different but honestly you know people were you know telling me back then it's all over you know yeah, that was 25 yeah. years ago um, and I, you know, if you look back to the mid 70s, you know, they were saying it's all over for live orchestras and no one's, it's all synths and no one's going to be, you know, and then Star Wars came along and it, you know, just blew that idea out of the water, right. really. So, so you just never know what's going to happen, I think is what I'm trying to say. So it's, it's hard to give perspective when you're really close to it. I mean, at the moment, you know, streaming yeah, yeah. is obviously the big thing and that's, it's a big it's been a huge it's been a huge mind shift for everyone in in all sorts of different ways but where that's actually going I don't know because it changes so fast from year to year you know one minute Netflix is like not wanting to spend anything and then they're making 150 million dollar movies and the next minute they're not wanting to spend anything you know it's just hard to even keep up with it so it's very it's it's very unknown I think um i've done movies a lot of my career i haven't i mean i've done tv but i I think the bulk of what i've done has been more sort of theatrical movies and that's obviously changed in the last few years and i've done much more tv um or streaming stuff or mini series um that's that's a big difference and i don't know where that's going to go i if I had to make a guess, I would guess that cinemas aren't going anywhere. Movie theatres aren't no. going anywhere. But but it is getting really expensive, you know, to go to the movies, you know, for, for regular yeah. people. It's just, like, crazy. Um, when I know. when we were kids, you know, it was, like, the cheap thing that you could go and do to, to amuse the kids. But so it's obviously become more of a premium experience, you know, and people are going to theatres for you know for the you know for the true spectacle and for a like a you know a premium experience of seeing and hearing everything really really great much better than you could at home so my guess is that that will continue um but in terms of music it's hard to say i think things have really lots of good music around actually there's lots of really good music around yeah i think there's Um, a lot
0: of new a lot of new voices i think that's the great thing is that there's so many new voices and then technology is getting more accessible and we're hearing just a lot more perspective than the isolated group of people who are kind of working you know 15 years yeah
1: i think so i think it's quite it's quite it, it is fresh and it's quite exciting and it sort of just makes me smile a bit when people sort of say it's so important to hear diverse voices and i'm like well, yeah well i've been mentoring female composers for the last 15 years where yeah welcome to the party folks um you know and i've been you know recording people in africa for the last 15 years or something you know it's like right. welcome to the party not that i you know not that i necessarily know better than anyone else but it's like it's not a huge surprise to me that this new diversity in composers is exciting for people because uh, yes it's you know, obviously is <laughs> yeah very <It's> much <laughs> um you know and i was people ask me the question um about about this quite a lot and i think you know that i think i've admired good composers all my life and i've admired composers who've been very diverse and i think that's why i've wanted to be very diverse in the type of movies i write but honestly my just opinion is that doesn't matter if you're female or male or what color you are you know as long as everyone gets a chance to write something then you know good you know then good music will you'll be able to then judge what good music is you know um you know because music speaks for itself but you know just everyone having the opportunity to do it is got to be a good thing so I think that's been one of the big things just you know just opening it up a bit has been it's been good I think for everyone I think the flip side of that is that there are so many composers now, um, that um, you know, people will be willing to work for you know very different terms to what they used <laughs> what they yeah. used to. Yeah. And so I I give a lot of career advice to younger composers and try and just sort of. Just help them sometimes. Just have the confidence to not give all their rights away, and and all, and all these things, you know, which people are being pressured into doing for all sorts of different reasons. Because there's such a huge throng of composers wanting to, you, you know, work. Which is that's the good side. The bad side is that everyone is sort of being like beaten down to the
0: Yeah, to, where they'll just, you know, if I if I go do it for, you know, they'll do it for exposure and that'll get me in. And but then yeah. everyone everyone gets used to like, oh, I don't have to pay composer. I don't they'll just do it, you know, get a younger composer to do it for free. And it's just like that yeah. devalues the whole profession. It devalues what the music is, you know. <laughs>
1: right. right, exactly. And so I would I would never I would never put someone down for doing that because you know you've you've got to do what you you've got to do to get yourself sure. in front of people. Yeah. But I just really urge younger writers to not devalue themselves and keep a sense of their own value, um, because in the long run, you've you know you, you've got to have a, a long career. You've got to be able to build up a body of work, and that hopefully will pay your way and pay your living and <laughs> and sustain you through your whole career. So so yeah. keep your sense of keep your sense of worth and and um, hold out when it makes sense to. And if it doesn't, then then don't, you know. But these these are all conversations that are everyone is figuring out on the fly. Um, yes, because it's we're, happening, we're happening so fast.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. You know, but we'll probably look back in in fifteen years and say these were the golden times. Who knows?
0: <laughs> yeah, but when AI takes over everything, so.
1: <laughs> yeah, maybe. Although I think I. I think that some algorithms will become a bit like pop stars. That they will probably sort of like, they'll probably come up with something catchy. Um, but I still think there's an element of people like the human behind the creator, the, yes. the you know the creation as well. I think there is an element. It's just human nature. We like to we like to have heroes and heroines who create the things that we love as well. And yes. so you yeah, know great as ai is I, I i don't think it's quite gonna dispense with uh with composers yeah. and writers and artists you know i, I think remember, it's just an add to it
0: yeah i mean we just I, I remember the conversation when uh like motion capture came out people were like oh it's gonna replace acting and actors you know when avatar came out we won't need actors anymore it's like avatar is a great spectacle but yeah you're not going to be able to replace you know actors you know so right. you're not going to be able to replace you know storytellers and musicians and directors and editors and and uh, having that 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 one thing that um, you know computers don't have, which is just humanity behind it. So, mm-hmm. yeah, for sure. Well, Alex, but, I, we covered so much today. I want to thank you so much for <laughs> your insight and your time, and it was such a wonderful time talking with you and getting to know all your, about your process and and diving into your work. And and uh, so I want to thank you so much for 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 sharing everything. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah
1: it's my pleasure it's been great to talk and we'll well let's talk in 10 years time and see if any of these predictions have have come about sounds good (laughs) hopefully before then in fact (laughs) yeah
0: we'll we'll do it we'll do it we won't wait 10 years to talk
1: (laughs) yeah exactly